Titus chapter 1 and reading from verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And we shall leave it there. Well, we're looking, uh, friends, again at this uh, uh, message from Titus and looking at the elders and tonight uh, specifically uh, my to topic, my subject is why the church uh, needs elders. Why does the church need elders? Why does the church need these kind of elders which are uh, stipulated for us here? These, these kind of qualities uh, in an elder, why are they required? Well, we'll come to that uh, in a minute. But last week, we began to look at Titus's task, that which had been assigned to him by the Apostle Paul, that he was to go uh, from church to church there on the island of Crete, many cities there, maybe a hundred or so cities. We do not know how many churches there were actually planted in, in Crete, but he had to go from place to place and he had to superintend that work of planting, sorry, ordaining uh, elders, letting the church put forward the men and uh, using these criteria as a qualification. And we saw uh, last week as well how this word elder uh, can be used interchangeably with the words uh, bishop and the words overseer and pastor. They're synonymous, uh, synonyms of uh, one another. And uh, we can see this even here in verse uh, 6, sorry, verse 3 first. Uh, I beg pardon, verse uh, 5. Uh, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wa wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. And then uh, further down in verse 7, when he's still talking about elders, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, and so on. So in Paul's mind, there isn't any difference between uh, these words. And uh, the elder is the bishop in the New Testament, as is the overseer, the pastor. Again, as we said last week, so different uh, from uh, today. Bishops today are overseers. And we look at the structure of the church, the Church of England especially, we think of that. Well, it's a, a structure, a hierarchical structure with priests and bishops and archbishops above them, all uh, in a, a line of authority. And uh, we feel very much so that this is an unbiblical structure when you look at the New Testament. And it's, uh, the Bible says nothing really about such a hierarchy within the church, nor does the Bible say anything about synods really. And so where our Presbyterian friends and the Anglicans as well have these synods, you may hear, have heard about the synod that's going on at the moment with the Anglicans. Well, that's again something that is simply not biblical. And uh, the, the very uh, church structure 
uh, in the New Testament, very simple one, just a local a body of believers, an autonomous congregation led by elders, and if necessary, uh, deacons are present also. You remember how the Apostle Peter, how he spoke about uh, elders when he was writing in the, his letter, the first uh, epistle of Peter, chapter 5. He, could, he didn't use his apostolic credentials when he was writing to them, but he referred to them as elders. I, am, I who am also an elder, he was saying. He, he describes himself as a fellow uh, elder, and that's how uh, he saw uh, himself. Now, having said that, also, I'm also going to talk a little bit more tonight about elders and uh, maybe just touch on really one of these qualities because uh, I just have a few things to say and then we'll get a little bit more into detail with the, these requirements uh, uh, next week. But having said uh, these things about elders, then there's a need, yes, in a, a large church for many elders, but should there be a distinction within those elders? We think that there should be. If their church has more than one elder, there should be a distinction, really, amongst those elders. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, we read there, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And we think that this verse uh, tells, shows us two different groups within the eldership. So you have an eldership and you have uh, all the elders who are all ruling elders within the church. But then there's this special, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. There is somebody, one or two people amongst this eldership who are laboring in preaching and teaching preparing the messages with which to feed the church. And of course, that's identified as the pastor, the minister of the church. Some churches, which are very large, have more than one uh, minister and a pastor, but usually there's uh, just the one, uh, one there. So while all elders are called and given the task of ruling in the church, out of that, out of that one, uh, out of that only one, is uh, called usually to be the pastor and the minister. Not all elders are called to be uh, are called to public preaching, to the work of the pastor. All elders need to be apt to teach, though. You say, isn't that what it says in one Timothy uh, chapter three? Yes, it says that. But it doesn't mean they need to be apt to teach publicly. They can teach. On, they need to be apt to teach when people come to them and uh, speak to them on a personal basis and they need to be able to answer their questions and show them from the scriptures this is what the Bible is saying but it's not a public requirement that they should be uh, public uh, speakers that's not really I think the intention there a pastor is usually somebody as well who's going to be full-time in the ministry the church can manage to support their pastor uh, he is full-time. That's not always the case in some of the smaller churches. Uh, but uh, elders may be full-time or may not be. A number of elders may be in secular work and at the same time doing the work of an elder, while others may be required to do it on a full-time uh, basis. So th there is this... Uh, all, our, all elders are ruling elders, 
but uh, amongst those one, and they're all equal. <coughs> you're not elevating the pastor above all the other elders, but he does emerge as the teaching elder, which is how he's normally referred to. So the pastor, uh, then with the wisdom and the dependence as well on his fellow elders, uh, he leads the church. He's not going to be a, a lone ranger just dictating how everything is done and just saying, I think this should happen, that should happen. Uh, he, if he's a wise man, uh, he will seek counsel uh, from the elders within uh, his church. He won't do, make all the decisions single-handedly, but he is to lead the way. And ultimately, in a sense, the final uh, decision uh, rests with him. Because somebody has to take the responsibility for the decisions. Does that mean then that the minister is unaccountable to anyone? Does it mean he can do as he likes and dictate things? Of course, no, not at all. What happens if he goes astray? What happens if he uh, preach, starts preaching error or wants to introduce into the church some uh, unbiblical practices? Will he have the power to do that because he's leading the way? Well, that's where the other elders come in. The other elders should pull him to one side before any of these things happen and say, brother, this and this shouldn't be in the church. And uh, this and this, what you said here, was not right. It's not biblical. And that's the role of the elders, is to, to also be on the watch and to, uh, to keep an eye to make sure that God's standards, because that's what's important after all. And that even if the air is possible, as we see even today, we see uh, churches going astray because the pastor is introducing things into the ministry, into the church, and the elders there are not doing anything about it. They're leaving it uh, to be. So he is accountable, and he should, if he doesn't uh, change, then he should be asked uh, to leave the church rather than the elders leaving the church, and uh, he's staying there. But there is uh, this, uh, this distinction then among the elders. And I, I mention this especially because there are a number of churches uh, uh, over... The, the recent uh, years, a number of churches who have been introducing this parity of elders, the parity of elders. Now, you may have heard of the term, but the parity of elders, basically, it removes this distinction between, uh, amongst the elders. And it says, well, all elders are pastors and all pastors are elders. <laughs> all elders are pastors and all pastors are elders. Well, we agree with the second part. All pastors are elders. But we'd have to disagree with the first part that all elders are... Sorry, we agree with the second part, pastors are elders, but we disagree with the part which says all elders are pastors. Uh, but one reason why this kind of uh, teaching uh, has proved popular in, in so many churches is because people are worried, people are concerned that a figure like Diotrephes, you remember in, in, in 3 John, who sought to have the preeminence in the church, this kind of a figure may rise up uh, in the church and cause problems in the church and, and dominate uh, the church and then potentially lead the whole uh, church astray. So people think if you have this equality of elders where everyone is preaching, which is what they say, all the, all the elders should be taking turns to preach, uh, then you'll be kept uh, from such a scenario. 
but as I've said already, really, uh, if, if you have other elders who are monitoring, who are keeping an eye out, who are vigilant about what's happening in the church, and even what, when the pastor says or does something uh, astray, then you want, they can step in before it gets worse. So we, uh, we, would, we would maintain that this distinction uh, should be uh, kept as a biblical distinction. But when we think then of the actual qualifications of the elders, as uh, here are mentioned, uh, this is the criteria that Titus is given by Paul when he goes around to those churches uh, selecting elders. This is the kind of men that he must uh, select. Of course, he knows this already. He's been with Paul a long time. He's, he's seen Paul in action already. He knows what Paul's mind is and the kind of people he should be choosing. But it's put here really for the sake of the people, the churches there, so that the church will re realize that these are the standards that are required. This is the biblical authority. This is the standards required for the office of an elder. And they, so it's not really something that's new to Titus, but something that's really put in there for the benefit of the churches. Now, while we look at this particular, this particular criteria, uh, we'll not only think of it in relation to the man and how the man measures up, does he or does he not measure up uh, to these particular standards. But we also want to think of it in a little bit more for helpful way for us all in its relation uh, to the church. Uh, because all of these attributes are not only necessary in the man for the man, for a man's good, but for the sake of the church, for the blessing of the church. Uh, the church's reputation and the church's witness is at stake because that's why such a person is selected. That's why we need this kind of man with this kind of characteristics, not just for uh, because such a person is required, but because the actual church's witness to the world, in a sense, hinges on the kind of people that are leading it. And that is uh, so very important. Its officers must be above suspicion. There mustn't be things in the life uh, of uh, the preacher and the pastor which will bring the church into disrepute and into uh, finger-pointing, as we'll see uh, in a minute. So an elder, he must have these qualities, not just for himself, uh, not just for the good of, of others, but also because he's a representative of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, he's not a, like a self-employed person who's just representing himself, and if he does a bodge job on his work, uh, then he's at fault, and he gets criticized, and he's embarrassed, but no, he's representing, as we could say, a company. He's a public man, public figure. He's like an ambassador. And if he gets things all messed up, well, it's his whole country or his whole company uh, is uh, put to shame or embarrassed in some way and uh, dishonored. And so it's so vital for him uh, that these kind of, this kind of a man is chosen. It's so vital for the church of Jesus Christ. He's, he's the man who is in the public eye. Uh, a member in the church is not so much in the public eye, but he is 
and the way he carries himself in the church among its members, the way he deals uh, with the members, his manner at home, uh, Paul mentions here, does he have personal self-control? All these areas are open to public scrutiny. And people can look and say, look at his home life. It's, it's rubbish. He's got problems at home. Uh, and that can bring the church into disrepute. And so he may either give, be giving a, a good testimony or a very poor one, an, an evil one. Maybe a, a man who is given uh, to money. That's one of the thing, things here. Uh, says, not given to filthy lucre. And we hear, isn't it, story after story, and we see on the God Channel, if you ever watch that, which I hope not, uh, but uh, you see on the God Channel, people again and again, they're asking you for money. Uh, preachers asking for money, and people who are already very rich, and uh, we don't even know where, where the money really goes to. And what, a, what an embarrassment it is to the church. What a shame it is that they use the Lord's name to make themselves rich, to fill their own uh, pockets. So uh, a, 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 a man, a content man, a man who's sincere, uh, that will be a good testimony, but a covetous pastor will bring dishonor uh, to the Lord. Well, we can also say uh, it's for the benefit of the local church to have spiritual elders, to have men like this un, uh, leading. Sheep will be glad, isn't it? to have uh, such uh, under-shepherds, to have a, a, a person who really cares, who is sincere about uh, their work, who are attempting to open up the word in a sincere and a faithful way and to apply it, a person who is not one thing at home and another thing in the church, a person who is through and through uh, a, a Christian and whose uh, intent is to lead the people uh, to the Lord and to preach uh, the gospel. Uh, such a person, well, the, the, sh the sheep will be happy to have uh, such a pastor, such a leader, such an elder. Again, I've heard and uh, a number of stories of, of pastors who are anything but gentle with the sheep. And they, are, they tend to be sometimes overbearing and over-shepherding, you may have heard of that, getting too involved in people's personal lives, making decisions for them, Preventing the young people when they want to, who are studying at university, they want to go back home uh, for to see their parents during the summer holidays. You can't go back home. You have to stay here. You have to work with the church. Well, that's not that's not uh, a pastoring. That's uh, heavy-handed, over-shepherding. And some uh, some sadly, uh, some pastors uh, have uh, have had this bullying sort of uh, attitude towards the sheep. Well, who wants to be under such a ministry? And yet they seem to get uh, quite a few people still going. Sometimes these men are easily angry uh, with, uh, with, their, with, their, with their sheep and uh, are strikers. Here we read that they are not to be uh, strikers. Uh, that means violent. But I'm sure they don't, beat, they don't beat the sheep physically. But you can be violent with your words, isn't it? You can hurt people tremendously with the words that you say. Preaching from the pulpit at people, that should never happen, but it does. It does in some churches, and uh, it's, it shouldn't be uh, practiced. So uh, having a, a, a spiritual elder, as mentioned here, is such a, a blessing. And members, uh, sadly, if they have a pastor 
uh, who is heavy-handed or who even maybe who allows practices in the church, maybe who is bringing in those contemporary Christian music into the church. He doesn't realize, but there are sheep within this congregation who are unhappy with what's happening. And they feel very sad every time they go. They've been members for years in a particular church. And then they go along, to the, the pastor brings in something new, and they are disturbed. And now they, they struggle to make it uh, to the church. Or if they attend, they attend with a very heavy heart. So, uh, so we, we're seeing some of these, uh, the benefits of having an elder as biblically stated here. One other thing is it's important just to have elders. Uh, the church, like any other institution, needs to be led, uh, needs to be ordered, needs to be uh, organized. Schools are, are organized, hospitals are organized, companies are all organized, and even governments have to be. They won't be able to function if they're not ordered and organized, and how much more even the church. We cannot just say, let's just get gathered together, and whatever happens, uh, happens. We'll see what happens, anything goes. No, people need to be led. People like to be led. People like to know generally what's going to happen and the order of the service. They don't really like something new happening within the service. So a led church uh, here. So having said those things, I want to say just something as well about these qualities which are mentioned in a general way. And just to, or you can see for yourself, that uh, the thing that's highlighted here is not so much this man must have this gift and that gift and this gift and he must be a, a really eloquent man and he must have the ability to capture people's attention uh, with his words and so on. But the thing that's mentioned here more is his character. It's grace above his gifting. Gifts are important, gifts are necessary, but it's not the primary thing as mentioned here by Paul, uh, he talks a lot about the gifts, sorry, the, the graces, the character of the person. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have a similar list uh, of, uh, and again, the emphasis is on character above gifts. There, in fact, in that chapter, only two gifts are mentioned, the aptness to teach and uh, to rule. All the others which are mentioned are all to do with the person's character. What kind of a, a, a man is he? You see, he must be a spiritual man. That's so vital uh, for the church. He must be a holy man. Well, you know, uh, I'm sure that saying of Robert Murray McShane, uh, that minister in Scotland died very young, known for his holiness, even more than his preaching, his holy character, uh, people sometimes used to see him walking up the, the pulpit, uh, up to his pulpit, and they would start weeping as they just saw him uh, walking. I don't know how, but he was such a godly man, uh, and uh, he had such an effect uh, on people. But he said these words, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. And I think that captures the work or the kind of person uh, 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 an elder must be. The work, after all, is a spiritual one. It's not a, a temporal one. It's not just 
uh, like a normal business. It needs someone who is spiritually minded to do spiritual work. That's why, again, and don't mean to be critical tonight over much, but some churches, when they're choosing uh, elders, they, don't, they bypass this list here and in 1 Timothy, and they look at a person's uh, occupation. Oh, you're a successful businessman, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you've reached the top of your profession, uh, we'll choose you be based on your success in your occupation, in your profession, not upon the list that is given here. And so this um, worldly men maybe are brought into uh, the, the pulpit uh, or rather into the church and into the decision-making of the church and the thinking of the church and the way the church is led. And so inevitably, uh, these worldly practices are going to be brought in if you have such men uh, who are leading uh, the church. It's, uh, it's bound to happen. Oh, well, we've been successful. I've been successful in business with this particular method. I should apply the same method to the church. And that's what uh, happens. But it doesn't work like that uh, spiritually and biblically. So grace, friends, uh, before uh, gifting. And it's not really only for elders. That same uh, thought applies for all of us. Wherever we are, all believers need to think about their character. What we do for the Lord is very important. But what we are as people is so much more important. It's so much more uh, important to the Lord. This is the Lord wants us to grow in sanctification. Every believer, yes, should be working and doing something for the Lord. But every believer also should be working on their character becoming a more gracious man, humble, holy. All of these attributes really uh, could be applied to all believers. Hospitable, self-controlled, not soon angry, not given to wine, and so on. Uh, so it's something uh, that uh, we are all to remember as we go on with the Lord. Our, char our character is vital. Uh, these character traits should be growing uh, in each one of us, but we perhaps can say they should be especially evident in those who are in the eldership. Well, let's just look at this first part then. Uh, verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. And I'm just going to look at that phrase, if any be uh, blameless uh, tonight, and then we'll pick up on some of the others, uh, God willing, next week. The word uh, blameless means uh, called into question, uh, called uh, to account. So in the areas that are mentioned here, there should be nothing that is called into question about the elder. Again, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 2. Uh, also, Paul there uses a, di a different uh, Greek word, but in our English it's the same word, uh, blameless, but it's basically the same meaning. And there it means nothing to lay hold of. There should be nothing in the elder that somebody can lay hold of. Then when you go through this list, you can, there's nothing that somebody can lay hold of and say, aha, he's not like this. He's got a fault in this particular area. Uh, he's, there's some ground uh, for accusation against the elder 
in this particular area. It's something I can point a finger at. He's not like this. He's a bad father at home, or uh, he's, uh, he's not a lover of hospitality. He always tells people to go, to go away to their own home. He never opens his home uh, to others. So there's, there must be uh, not, not blameless in the sense there's nothing uh, to accuse this man of. Not that the elder, of course, is going to be free from sin. Uh, he's he's uh, not a sinless perfection uh, man. He's not entirely perfect. But uh, he also uh, fails in, in many things. Uh, but uh, Titus, if Titus was looking for such sinlessly perfect men, but he'd have a very hard time uh, finding such people. But the idea is uh, he must be somebody who is above uh, reproach. Not perfect, but somebody above reproach. Somebody who's living a consistent life. Somebody who is godly at home as well as uh, in the church. A sincere man. Somebody who is not a hypocrite, who is not play-acting. Somebody who is not guilty uh, of covetousness or intemperance or drunkenness, but rather he has a, a good uh, reputation, a good reputation amongst his fellow members especially. The same word is used in verse 7, for a bishop must be uh, blameless. He must be blameless as the steward of God, the steward of God's house. Now a steward was a person who manages uh, the domestic affairs of a home or a family or a business, it may be. And in that time, uh, often a servant was given the task of, uh, of being the steward in a, in a person's uh, house. And it would be his responsibility to make sure uh, that the other servants uh, got, were assigned their appropriate tasks and also their appropriate portions of food and the salary or, or the, the wage that were, they were entitled to. It was his responsibility to distribute and make sure things were done, make sure the house is kept in good order. You know about Eliezer, who was uh, Abraham's steward. He had, uh, he had the management of the Abraham's uh, household and Abraham's things and Abraham's uh, cattle and, and so on. And then there was uh, Joseph, who was a steward in Potiphar's house. And I'm just going to turn uh, to Luke, Luke's Gospel in uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 42. <coughs> the Lord said, uh, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant who whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maids, maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord will, of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So there we see uh, the Lord used that, that the word student, uh, steward. Uh, a faithful and wise steward uh, is somebody who apportions uh, to the people in the household their meat also in due season. 
they have this element of uh, faithfulness in the things that have been assigned to them. They're not going to be slothful or lazy, uh, but to be a steward in God's house, well, friends, uh, it means he must be diligent in those things. And they, being entrusted with such a great responsibility, he must show himself without fault, without uh, rebuke. He has been entrusted with the work of caring uh, for the sheep, of feeding the sheep, and of making sure that the different departments of the church are attended to, the evangelism, the care work, the preaching. Preaching has to be uh, something, as it were, for everyone, just like that steward distributes something to all the servants. So there must be a distribution in the word, in the preaching of the word, uh, for, uh, for all, all kinds of people, the young and the old, uh, the seeker and the believers as well, the happy believers, those who are sad. It must be, as it were, something for everyone. Just recently, we had some friends around for a meal, and uh, one of the friends doesn't eat peppers, and so we had to, a special meal had to be, dish had to be made for him without peppers, so that he could also partake uh, of the, the dinner and enjoy the dinner uh, as well. So some, that sort of idea is a, is a preacher. He has to think of uh, the different people where they are make, and try and make sure, it doesn't always succeed, but try and make sure he's got something uh, for everyone. So implied here then, friends, is in this, in this word of being a blameless in, this, in, the, in the Lord's house, in the, a steward of God's house, is this aspect of uh, faithfulness and uh, response of being faithful in the things that has been uh, given to him. He must therefore, we could say, be a, a proven person. And he's been proved in a previous field before he's put into this particular office. Just like Joseph. You think of Joseph before he was entrusted with Egypt, uh, Egypt's riches and Egypt's corn, uh, before he was uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man. He was in Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, again, he proved himself faithful and everything was given to him, everything, the management, the whole household, and all the servants and all were under his control except for Potiphar's wife. And he learned there, he was proved there. Then he had to go through a few more difficulties before he was elevated to, to that position of the prime minister of uh, Egypt. But it's the same sort of thing here with this particular elder, not a novice really, as in Timothy, uh, but somebody who has uh, been through and gain some experience. Well, friends, are there any here who aspire uh, to be an elder or a preacher, who desire to do the work, uh, the, the work for the Lord's sake, not for some self-grandisement? Uh, well, it's a good thing uh, that uh, people want to enter the ministry or want to serve as an elder. What should they do to prepare? Be faithful in what God has given you now. Be faithful to do what the Lord has given to you, assigned to you. If it's evangelism, or you want to be faithful regularly in your evangelism. Is it Sunday school work, or you want to be faithful in that? As we are faithful in little, well, the Lord then can entrust us with much. So I'm almost at, at my end. And so, uh, well, let me just conclude, I think, uh, here. So we want to be those, uh, those who are selected should be men, 
who are above reproach. And it's something really that it should be said for all of us as believers. We all need to be seeking to live lives that our unbelieving neighbors or colleagues can, can say, oh, nothing I can find in that guy. Nothing I can see in that woman that can uh, make me th uh, think that I can point at and criticize. They're leading uh, such an upright, blameless uh, life. And uh, that's the, what we should aspire to. And I close with that scripture from uh, Philippians. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world.